universe I don't believe that I could ever get a feeling like that Music is playing on Good evening ladies and gentlemen This is Chris Skyhawk with KZYX You're listening to Universal Perspectives tonight We're continuing my series of surviving late stage capitalism What's next? Tonight I only have one guest. I have Chase Iron Eyes from the Lakota People's Law Project. I had I was trying to get somebody from the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, but they had to cancel at the last minute. So we'll also, after listening to Chase, we will listen to a talk from John Trudell. The reason why I wanted to have these people on tonight is because there's a lot of knowledge now about the boarding schools and the genocide that many native people have survived and I thought if we talked to they would have some information for us about how to how to survive difficult times so let's let's bring Chase on good evening Chase do we have you Chase yep can you hear oh me? yes I can hear you thank you for being with us tonight I know that you don't have very long we're trying to cover as much ground as we can could you tell our listeners here in Mendocino County a little bit about the Lakota People's Law Project? Yeah. Uh, just thank you for having me on. I don't think I could be more pleased with the title of a show that asks humanity how we are going to navigate late-stage capitalism. <clears throat> um, you know, a lot goes into that's a, that's a quite a loaded phrase and, and what I've found in my travels and my work is that a lot of people um, fell fall into this line of thinking that there's uh, you know slim to none chance snowball's chance in hell that we're going to be able to beat the bad guys we're fighting other human beings. We're not, we're not fighting some, you know, um, holy force. I mean, we're, we are fighting a, a force, but it's, it's truly a war that we can win. It's a war that requires courage. It requires people to vote. It requires people to spend their money and vote with their money, but it also requires frontline resistance. As, as we saw during the No Dapple Stand with Standing Rock. Now, my organization, the Lakota People's Law Project, I've been with this organization for about 10 years. I joined them in 2012, and I had begun discussions with them in 2011 because it was the same time that I started a, an, an indigenous media outlet called Last Real Indians. And we had been talking with uh, Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson, who's the executive director of, of the Romero Institute, which is the parent company of the Lakota People's Law Project. And they had just done a, a comprehensive report about the the state of native children about the systemic nature of the state of South Dakota in this instance but it's every state in the union or wherever there's native kids you know the supreme court of the united states for the benefit of the listeners just heard a lawsuit yesterday just heard a case yesterday called Brack Keen named after a non-Indian family, a white family, that is, is seeking to adopt Navajo children, uh, uh, children that are eligible for enrollment in the Navajo Nation and also the Cherokee Nation. And it's a complicated uh, set of facts, but it made it all the way to the Supreme Court on two um, issues. And maybe before I get into those issues, let me tell you about South Dakota, because... There's a reason why I begin working with the Lakota People's Law Project in the first place. And that is because in this comprehensive report 10 years ago, Sarah Nelson had uh, come up to where I was working on the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, the Standing Rock Nation, the Standing Rock Reservation, where 
the, the site of the No Dapple fight, where probably some of your listeners remember that, or yes. maybe perhaps were even were even at it. You know, a lot of yes, people we went some there, people tens there, of thousands, and, and, and people, a lot yeah. of people were supplying, sending supplies out there. <laughs> um, you know, that that is that is a very that is a spiritual um, monument. I heard one of our elders call it an international spiritual spiritual monument. This the action that took place there. Uh, but, but I was working there at Standing Rock where I grew up and, and, uh, you know, uh, they, they kept, the Lakota People's Law Project kept putting this piece of paper on my desk and it was this, this report which, uh, detailed just how the state of South Dakota was taking more than 740 kids every single year and it's more now. The state of South Dakota, the state of, the State Department of Social Services. Now, these Indian parents are, you know, they come into contact with law enforcement for whatever reasons. Maybe it's, it's uh, you know, a drunk driving, or maybe they were caught with cannabis, or maybe there's a welfare check at the school, and then the law enforcement shows up to their homes. Whatever it is, these Native parents end up in a situation where their Native children are now taken by the state of South Dakota and they're, they're, the state of South Dakota is bound by federal law to then, once they take a Native child, there is a set of preferences that they're supposed to honor. They're supposed to, first of all, notify the tribal court where the kid is enrolled or enrollable, and that tribal court will then have the opportunity to take jurisdiction of the case. And they're supposed, these are among many steps here, but... But I, I want to make it quick uh, because it's a timely matter. Now, if they, uh, if the, if the, if the state court ends up adjudicating the case, they are supposed to, by federal law, place that Indian child with next of kin, with extended family, with any member of that child's tribe, or with any other native tribe. Because some children are you know, the product of several several tribal nations. And in South Dakota, nine times out of ten, ninety percent of the time that native kids were coming through South Dakota's doors, they they were getting sent to non Indian white family homes and institutions. So even though in the entire state of South Dakota native children were like twelve, ten, twelve percent of the the total population of children, they they were fifty four percent of the percent of children who were in state custody. So those, you know, and then I read this whole report of how egregious it is, and, and, and I joined the Lakota People's Law Project from, from that day on. We organized a big gathering in Rapid City, South Dakota, that was attended by then Assistant Secretary of, the Indi- of Indian Affairs, which is, you know, right under the United States Secretary of the Interior. And... We had tribal leadership show up, and, and we've been trying to help this situation. We've got two tribes, two different tribes, grants to try to increase their capacity so that they can they can take some of these Native children that are getting caught up in the system. But this court case seeks to invalidate the Indian Child Welfare Act, federal law, seeks to, to declare it unconstitutional, one, on the basis that to discriminate against the non-Indian parents and to show preference to Indian parents, now these are the words of of the plaintiffs' attorneys. You know, the people who want to invite and or want to violate ICWA, they um, they want that to be considered discrimination, and it goes down to the question of whether or not to be. Indian, to be indigenous, to be Native American, to be a tribal sovereign, is that the same thing as being a racial minority or a racial ethnicity within the context of American citizenship? This is, this is the, the, one of the questions before the United States Supreme Court, and we're pretty confident that the United States Supreme Court, it, I mean... Actually, we're not that confident because they just overturned Roe versus Wade. 
But if you have people who are willing to uphold the precedent that is that has been handed down before them, Native people have always been considered to be not only independent nations, but but uh, distinct political entities. So that the classification of of our people now there's over 500 different tribes in the country. And each country can determine its own membership, but that mem- that citizenship or membership, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, is not the same as a race because Native people have inherent predecessor sovereignty, and we have treaties with the United States. Everybody else is is like the subject of the United States solely. Like when you think about if you're an American and you think about your your human rights or your natural rights or your birth rights, <clears throat> those are largely non-existent in a country like the United States. The United States kind of considers the apex of its subjects, their rights, to be civil rights. You know, the right to, to vote, the right to be free from discrimination. You don't have, a, like, a, a right to clean water, for instance. Okay. There, there's certain rights, and, and so so we, we spent a lot of time in our brief... And, and, and our brief that we filed was different than the one that we had developed all along the way. But we, we want to make very clear to the court that Native people are not a race and that they're not an ethnicity. That, that Native people are their own distinct political entities. And so to, to require that Native children stay in Native homes is not an act of discrimination against white people. And that's just one of the the prong that the Supreme Court has to decide has to decide. The rest is having to do with commandeering. You know, can the federal government pass a law like ICWA and require states to enforce it in areas that the states considers to be its own province? So but again, Chase, we, we have to rely on that argument that Chase, uh, you know, tell tell listeners yeah. how how the arguments played out today in front of the Supreme Court. Does it does it seem like the ju- justices are receptive to your arguments? Uh, no, it's, it's kind of split down the middle, just, just from the way that, uh, you know, American, uh, settler justices talk, it's, you can tell that they're not, they've never had a federal Indian law class in their lives. Uh You know, the country does a great job of, of pushing under the rug and lying to its populace about the nature of American sovereignty and, and the history of how this country was born and how it was built. And you can, that, that ignorance, willful or unwittingly, that ignorance is displayed in some of the Supreme Court justices just by the way that they talk. You know, they, they don't, they, they equate, for instance, um, native spirituality. They don't understand that the Indian Child Welfare Act is designed to protect Indian identity, is de- designed to protect indigenous worldviews being able to to be transmitted from one generation to the next forever conceivably and so um i would say that it's it's right down the middle i can't you know name the justices the i don't remember their names and and, and their voices but we'll have an email uh uh, something coming out on our listserv tomorrow from lakotalaw.org if you're not signed up for that um, it'd be a good idea to keep up with what we do. Uh, it's not just me. There's there's a team of people, and um, you know we're 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 deathly concerned about ICWA. I'll, I'll just put it that way. That okay. this kind of decision um, is dangerous for for native people, for tribal sovereigns. You know, the, the the half of our population doesn't really live doesn't live on the reservation or tribal nations, whatever you want to call them. But but half of us do, and those of us that do live here understand tribal sovereignty in a way that most Americans just simply will never have the opportunity to. And so it's very important that federal law, like the Indian Child Welfare Act, is held up because we, we want to be able to govern ourselves, you know, in peace, and to be able to provide for ourselves. But we can't do that if the state is taking and placing Native children all over the place. Just, I mean... It's the same thing when they passed the boarding school law. Yes, I want I want to ask you this uh, this question. Um, this it also strikes me how how 
how interesting this is. This is coming at the same time that there was a real explosion in the consciousness of people in North America about the horrors of the boarding schools. <clears throat> and I'm curious what you think the connections are. Well, I, you know, th th these are all, you know, and I don't, I don't really care, or not not care, but I, I don't hold people to whatever political label. I don't really, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with with the, with the forced dichotomy. You're either the red team or the blue team. But but what I will say is that I I believe that what we're seeing with the Supreme Court right now is is the legacy of people like Stephen Bannon. The, the legacy of people like uh, Donald Trump, and you know the, the way that the, the the Red Senate blocked, for instance, uh, Merrick Garland's appointment to the Supreme Court. Um, the the Senate was not was able to appoint these these so-called conservative these these justices who who I think are could be could, could be called part of the radical fringe and, and who seem to be carrying out a war by a cultural war by proxy against the American people by doing things like overturning Roe versus Wade by by doing things like um, inhibiting tribal sovereignty I don't think it's any accident that uh, after the Dakota Access Pipeline fight you saw uh, I believe 37 different states passed laws that increased the penalties for protesting, for exercising your constitutional rights and free speech rights in and around what they declared to be critical energy infrastructure, meaning pipelines and other fossil fuel kind of uh, attendant infrastructures. Um, the boarding schools uh, have the exact same effect. It's just that back in those days, in the early reservation era, uh, we didn't we didn't have a choice. If you didn't turn your kid up for uh, education in, you know, the European American school system where they were, you know, all sorts of unspeakable violence and, and horrors and atrocities were inflicted upon children by the church. You know, the, the church was there at the behest of the federal government, though. They had they had a, a cooperative agreement in order to kill the Indian and save the man. Well, those are those are hundreds of thousands of children. Like these are the most egregious war crimes. That's genocide. America has has committed genocide, like outright genocide, but is continuing the policy of eraser of genocide and of the destruction of tribal sovereignty, tribal authority. Like, that—that that is, nobody knows that story in, in, in the common consciousness of America. Like, they don't even really teach you that in law school. In law school, they just teach you that this is the kind of the state of affairs. They don't teach you that the Indian wars have never ended. So the boarding school has everything to do with a colonial project country, a colonial corporate project country like the United States, trying to fully extinguish any evidence of their crimes, any remnants of the, the true righteous civilizations that predated America and any presence of anyone outside of Turtle Island by millions of years or hundreds of whatever. We don't need to argue about how long we were here. But America wants to teach its people that Native people came across Beringia, across the Bering Straits, and that people came from, like, primates or monkeys or something like this. But that's not what our knowledge says. But, see, we're going up against this tide of, of, of an indoctrinated populace. And all, all, we keep, all we have to keep doing is continue to unlearn that which has put us in a place of imbalance. That's, what, that's why I love the title of your show there, because we're trying to deconstruct these forces that have alienated us, have estranged us, have estranged ourselves from the universe. You know, some would even say that have created the self in the first place, but, but that have, have made us abstracted and have separated us, separated the spirit from the mind, for instance, and have really created this nihilistic, 
um, just a, 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 a dangerous place for humanity to be. But that is exactly where things like the Enlightenment period pushed us. You know, dark philosophers have pushed us and gave us this mythology that doesn't really, it doesn't lead us to a place of strength and salvation. The way that indigenous cosmology, in, indigenous cultural mythology, and, and indigenous ceremonial practice still does. And so uh, that's what ICWA is about. It's protecting those children's rights to learn who they are, to be happy with who they are, because once they they exit out of our language and our ceremonies and, and the womb that is our, our people collectively then, you know, they're at risk of, of becoming just subjects of the new Roman Empire, so to speak. <clears throat> Chase, I'm wondering if you would... I know you have to go soon, and I'm wondering uh, if you would like to say a few things to our audience about the resi resilience of Lakota and so many other tribal cultures. is quite stunning with all that you have faced. As we as you've mentioned here, people are pretty aware of the massacres, millions of people killed. Less known, I think, is the bureaucratic bureaucratic genocide, like boarding schools and the Dawes Act that took land, all these things. It's yeah. and it, people. I don't know if they understand that the war did not stop with the Wounded Knee massacre. <laughs> right. So well, that 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 was the. the that was the beginning of the reservation era there, and I, and I live on the reservation now where the Wounded Knee Massacre took place. I, uh, you know, the, the, the person, my great-great-grandfather, who, who is the, uh, the first to carry the name Iron Eyes, or that we know in known history for us, he was the first to carry the name Iron Eyes, and he, he is the brother of Spotted Elk, uh, who the Americans called Bigfoot, and and it was them who it was they who took in you know sitting bulls, fleeing uh, band members or followers. You know they had just witnessed Chief Sitting Bull be assassinated in in kind of a, a pre-orchestrated uh, conflict arrest conflict. You know, forty Indian police showed up to arrest Sitting Bull. This is December fifteenth, eighteen ninety. And, um, you know, Sitting Bull, when, when Sitting Bull was killed, then his people fled to what is now called the Cheyenne River Reservation up here in South Dakota. And then they were, they were taken in by my great great grandfather and his brother. It was his, his brother was the lead, the chief of that band. Um, I don't know what role my great great grandfather played, but, but I see his name and the name of his wife and the name of his three children who were killed at Wounded Knee December 29th. 1890 and so that you know if you've ever heard of black elk speaks you know he talks about the sacred hoop being broken there and then black elk is, is one person that talks about the the prophecy of the seventh generation meaning that seven generations from that time that people would begin to awaken people would begin to uh heighten their spiritual consciousness and and that they would reconnect and mend the broken hoop and that we would all pray under one great flowering tree now this is black elk from the book black elk speaks um and i and i now, I now know members of the black elk family living here on pine ridge um but i, I will i will uh you know i'll say that when, when we, you know, we have to remember that we were all subjected to a form of colonization. You know, when we, when we talk about linear thinking, I mentioned the Enlightenment earlier, when human beings kind of convinced themselves that human beings were the apex of the animal kingdom or that somehow we were above, you know, the other animals. We don't see ourselves as part of that. And, you know, in our language, it's yeah. called Wamakashka. We don't, we don't see ourselves as part of that. We, we, we consider ourselves to have dominion over the beasts of the earth and the plants and so forth. And it's a very 
it's a deliberate process, I, I, in, in my own estimation, to to be able to uh, take advantage of a human being's kind of inclinations to 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 fulfill selfish needs, selfish desires, and and um, you know we when when Standing Rock happened, no dapple. I, I say all that just to say that we all have the ability. We were once all considered indigenous. Indigenous. If you look back, far enough back in, in your family tree, in your family lineage, somewhere there you come from a people who, who, who know about a ceremonial or a, a connection to the cycles of Mother Earth, know about a ceremonial connection to the celestial movement, who, who used to plan their lives around that. And now we've, we've been commodified, we've been we, we've been extracted. John Trudell likes to call it mind. We've been mined. We've been we've been abstracted, as Karl Marx would say, and and we're, we're, we've been put into this place where, you know, we need new myths. We need new visions. We need new directions, places for us to go, and we're, we're seeking that. And indigenous peoples, indigenous nations. Because we still keep up our side of the bargain with the powers of creation, because we still do our ceremonies, that those visions and those prophecies still live within us. They still come to us in dreams and in ceremonies. And so we are, are in, in my estimation, one of the last great hopes for humanity because that other thing that is called capitalism or the logic of capital and, and all of its institutions and all of its commodifications and its objectifications, its usurpations, everything that it does, all the imbalances that it perpetrates on the world, that is slowly eating up the whole globe. And so we have to stand strong. You know, what was the original question? I better get back um, to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've been so enjoying listening to you it, it certainly seems to me like the entire project of western civilization whether it's spiritual economic, political is to sever people from their connection to understanding that they are a part of creation not just a, a separate from it so it seems like you're advocating for a return to our lineage with these creative powers with nature with mother earth yes Yes. Let me let me just uh, sum up because because I gotta go, brother. But yes, let, let me just sum up by saying that we all have that right. That that is our birthright. We all rise with the same sun. We all we all witness the same moon. You know, pull the tides, provide unknown powers and balances here on Earth. We all have the same God so to speak, the same deities. And and what humanity has done, what man has done to the human species' ability to seek its own divination, its own path of deliverance and salvation and connection and transcendental ways of life is to inhibit that. You know, men have devised ways and have used violence, coercion, fear, confusion, division to further perpetrate that, what I see as an injustice against humanity, whether it's the, the Inquisition, all of the colonization that was perpetrated on European indigenous people, you know, white Indians, if you will, three to five thousand years ago with the Roman Empire and everything that they, they just, they took out everybody. Everyone that they declared to be, you know, like superstitious or yes, uh, and using and witchcraft. The or, church you know, had the, the Inquisition. All of, all of that. All the, you know, think of the Celts, think of the Druids, think of everyone that was doing ceremony. That's what they were doing. They were doing what we continue to do right now in this day and age. But now we're called like indigenous people or American Indians. But it's all it all comes from the sacred elements so those 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 elements are available to us all you just have to find the way that you connect 
It could be meditating. It could be fasting. It could be whatever, you know, blessing yourself with water, your first drink of water of every day. Whatever it is, you have to find something. And, and there's also a lot of knowledge wrapped up, you know, hidden in these kind of orthodox religions or, or these these ways of, of viewing the world. You know, there's 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 a substance and there's value in, in, in these, some like scriptures, I would say, even like the Vedas I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the ancient scripts, and, and every every culture of, of every people in the world has something to offer, has a piece of the truth to offer. My, my people have a piece of the truth to offer, the Lakota people. So I, I just want to encourage people to, to do what you can to find your path. There's no, there's no right or wrong way to, to seek that connection. But, but uh, what I've noticed in my life, I'll just speak from that perspective, is that, you know, the gods or Tungashula, as we call uh, creation, it's waiting for you to take a step towards it. And, and we have many different ways of, of properly uh, petitioning um, creation for, for, for blessing, for, for favor, and for guidance and direction. And, but, but, it, but you have to ask. You have to seek it. You could probably find that in some scripture somewhere, but I just want to leave you guys with a message yes. of, of encouragement because we're in a fight and we can't give up. Chase, I really appreciate the direction you have taken this interview. It's really perfect. And I would like, before I let you go, I want to be sure our listeners know how they can support you, how they can find you on the web or anywhere else. Yes, thank you so much. Um, you, you could find me at Chase Iron Eyes. That's, those are my social media handles, uh, uh, mostly on Instagram and Twitter. Well, I don't know so much about Twitter right now because Elon Musk took it over. And it's just a crazy a crazy thing to think about <laughs> but uh find me at last real indians and lakota law like lakota law is kind of where uh, you know I, i've got a team of people that help amplify the indigenous voice mostly the lakota voice but but we're expanding we've been around for for a while i've been with the group for 10 years so at chase iron eyes and at lakota law at last real indians is, is where you can find me i suppose if people just google lakota people's law project they will find you Yes. Also. Well, Chase, I know we've kept you more than 15 or 20 minutes, so thank you so much for being with us. We are going to listen to John Trudell to close out the show, but I really am glad you could be with us tonight. Well, we just we just got rolling, and I thank you for having me. Okay. We'll, we'll direct people your way and hopefully get you more support. Thank you so much for your work. I can't thank you enough. Okay, you guys have a good night. You too now. That was Chase Iron Eyes from the Coats People's Law Project talking to us about their struggles with the Indian Child Welfare Act and protecting the cultural traditions of Lakota and indigenous people. So I thank you for being with us. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to listen to a talk from John Trudell, who's a Native American poet and activist. He died a few years back from cancer, but his legacy of the poetry and the thinking that he left behind with the words resonates. So we're going to have him on now. Human being, physical spirit, bone, flesh, blood as spirit, metal, mineral, water as spirit. We are in time and space. But we're from beyond time and space. The past is part of the present. The future is part of the present. Life and being are interwoven. We are the DNA of Earth, Moon, planets, stars. We are related to the universal. Creator created creation. Spirit and intelligence with clarity. Being and human as power. We are a part of the generations of evolution. We are a part of the memories. These memories carry knowledge. These memories carry our identity. Beneath race, gender, class, age. Beneath citizen, business, state, religion. We are human being. And these memories are trying to remind us, human beings, human beings, it is time to rise up. 
remember who we are. Famine in the plenty. Patience burns quick. Waiting for the rich, but the rich won't hurry. The rich eat us, so the rich don't worry. In the sun's shadow, water melts into cold. Running rivers of want. Want needs justice, but justice is just ice in those rivers of want. The stars in the night have seen it all. What isn't remembered takes time to weep. The soul isn't empty, yet it feels that way. Confusion in the happy place. The great lie is one with all the little lies. Edges of breaking dreams cutting into other dreams. I want to talk a little bit about who we are. Because I think the coherency of our future depends upon us knowing who we are. And I mean truly understanding who we are. Because our relationship to reality and our relationship to power is based upon that understanding. But sometimes I feel like I'm in a reality where we don't remember who we are. So therefore we don't know who we are. We speak a language we don't understand. And because of this we don't know where we are. And I think that we live in a technologic reality. That these conditions are the result of a mining process. I'm going to call it a mining process. And there's a reason we are in this situation. But it's got to do with being fed upon by a system. So I want to go to who we are. See, we're the human beings. And it's very important because we all know how to say the words. We know the terms. I know we know the terms because they taught them to us. They programmed this to us. And the, 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 the words, human beings. But our relationship to reality is in that definition. So human. The bone, flesh, and blood. The DNA of the human. The bone, flesh, and blood is literally made up of the metals, minerals, and liquids of the earth. So we are parts of the earth. We are shapes of the earth. We're forms of the earth. This is the form that we are. All the things of the earth have the same DNA as the human does. Everything of the earth has the same DNA as the human. Everything is made up of the metals, minerals, and liquids of the earth. But the shape is just different. And the purpose is different. And being, we have being. That's our essence, that's our spirit. And all of the things of the earth have the same DNA as the human has, so all the things of the earth have being. Spirit. And our relationship to power and reality is in that understanding of who we are. We are forms of the earth, and that's reality. Nothing will ever change that reality. What has changed is our perceptional <laughs> relationship to reality. And what has happened to us through the millennium and through this whole technologic perception of reality, what has happened to the human beings, is that, to me, it's like a disease in one way. It's like this thing just kind of spreads. And as it diseases the spirit of the people, it affects the perception of reality. So in one way, it's kind of like that. It's like a possession. But in another way, it's almost like a mechanical thing, this mining process that takes place. And it's almost like this thing that they call technologic civilization, see, is predatory upon our lives. Anybody ever feel something's missing from their life? Like purpose or understanding or self-worth or self, whatever the deal is, they're mining us. <laughs> All right, they're mining us. And one of, one of the objectives of this whole technologic civilized perceptional reality has got to do with erasing the memories of the human beings. Because we have a common collective experience. We are all the descendants of tribes. 
back in the time of the original dream. See, we were all tribes, and we were all the Earth's children, and we all knew that the Earth was our mother, and that we were a part of a spiritual reality, see, because we had being. We understood that there was a spiritual reality, and we were physical in a spiritual reality. We being who we are today, however we landed in this reality, whoever we are today, we carry the genetic experience of our lineage from the very beginning. It's encoded in the DNA. It's like a genetic memory. Something about the experience of the journey. We have it in us. It's like... But anyway, within our genetic memories, within our genetic memories, somewhere hidden in there, we all come from a people. Every one of us comes from a people that understood that we lived in a spiritual reality. And because we lived in a spiritual reality, every one of our beginning ancestral peoples understood that life was about responsibility. So we were responsible for the past and the future as well as the present. And we understood that all things had being. So we knew who we were, we understood what we were saying, and we knew where we were. We knew our purpose. And this reality lives in our genetic memory because, see, as human beings, whoever we are, the individuals we are now, that experience is there. It's that 90% of the brain to tell us we can't use. <laughs> so they're using it. <laughs> We all understand that in this technologic reality that we live, this technologic dimensional reality that we live in, we understand that they can take the DNA of the Earth that is called uranium in that shape and form. So they can take that DNA of the Earth that is uranium and it has being, spirit, and they can take it from the Earth and they put it through a mining refinement process and convert the being part of that uranium into a form of energy, electrical energy, that they call power. And in a way it is power, but, but in reality it's a mutated form of power. And after they do this kind of a process, then, then we, under, you know, we know that there's toxic waste and that there's poison left over from it. And we know they do it with fossils take that old dinosaur DNA and put it through the mining refining process and convert the being of that DNA into a form of energy that runs again another electrical system and that also leaves behind its pollutions and its things see so I think that they're doing it to us <laughs> because we come from the same reality we're made up of the same thing our shape is different that's all. Our shape and our function is different because our shape is different. But you come down to the genetic makeup of all of it, or the majority of water. The water has metals in it. It has minerals in it. See, but I think as a part of that reality, see, that we're being mined. The being part of human is being mined. It's being mined by a perception of reality. And the people who enforce that perception of reality by indoctrinating it into every generation of human beings that is born. See, so... To me, one of the purposes of this technologic perceptual civilization is that we are the fuel that runs it. And the poison, the toxic that is left over from the mining of the being part of human through the human, through the intelligence of the human, are in all the fears and doubts and insecurities that, that we have in our lives within our own personal reality about who we are the things that others don't see, that's the pollution and the toxic left over from the mining of the being part of human. That's the pollution that's left over, see, because in that kind of a haze, see, we don't see ourselves clearly. We do not see and recognize clearly who we are, and we're never encouraged to. We're encouraged to be good citizens, or good this religion, or good that religion, or good, you know, good workers, good... <laughs> yeah. But we're never encouraged to be real about human beings. In a way, we're never really encouraged to be good to ourselves. See, we're mentally and psychologically oppressed and manipulated so that we seek things to gratify ourselves, but that doesn't mean we bring good to ourselves. In the mining process, to me, you know, it's the civilizing process itself. Because somewhere in there, it's like someone's eating a spirit. Our spirit is being converted into an energy to run something. 
all right? And it's like it's eating our spirit. See, and, you know, everyone has their religions and their stuff, see, but it makes me wonder, how do we participate in this spiritual reality if we live in a mechanism now where the human has been conditioned and trained to eat its own spirit and turn it into fuel for the system? So life was about responsibility. And the earth was the mother. And at some point in the evolution of the human beings, another perception of reality appeared. And this perception of reality, it took the spirit away from the animals and all of the other things and it started changing spirit into human form, the gods and the goddesses. So at some point in the evolution, see, it started to take the way the people prayed but it has to do with iron and bronze and all these things being, being starting to become mined. So it's like it kind of evolved in this kind of a way. It's like, see, in a way religion emerged, in it, but it was like a mining tool for the technologic reality that was manifesting itself through industrialization. But it became almost like a tool, see, because you've got to go to the center of where the human being is. Because all human beings want to know where we come from and where we're going, what's our purpose. So you've got to go there if you're going to mess with them. You have to go there to the very beginnings. The beginnings and the heart of the spiritual realities. So, the God thing evolved, the religious thing that changed the creation story from being a creation story to where there was a new story and this new story was that there was a male dominator God removed from the earth who owned everything because he made it <laughs> so he owned it alright now at this point in our common collective genetic ancestral memory every one of our relations back in that time rejected this because life worked for them because the earth was the mother and the sky was the father, it's like the great spirit, the spirits, everything, it worked for them. They maintained a balance, they knew who they were, they knew what their purpose was, they knew their relationship to power, they knew everything about their lives, so it worked for them. But they were forced to accept this other perceptional reality through violence and terror and aggression. Same thing happened to the Indians here by the descendants of the tribes of Europe happened to the tribes of Europe and their descendants. That's why they behaved the way they did when they got here. And this is where I think sexism comes from. I think it comes from our relationship to the earth. See, I think sexism was one of the mining tools because when you're going to convince all of the human beings and whatever tribes that they're in as you come into contact with them, you had to turn them against the earth to promote this male god thing to alter the perceptional reality. So this is where sexism came. It came as a way because, see, as long as the people considered themselves to be the children of the earth and a part of the earth, they would not plunder the earth. They would not aid and abet or accept the plundering of the earth because the earth is their mother. See, so that's why sexism came in as a way because in order to attack the earth amongst the human beings they came into contact with, they had to attack their perceptional reality about the woman in relationship to the earth and life. So sexism, so it became, it was like a mining tool to help turn us against the earth and make the earth available for plunder. So in order to have all this experience get dumped down in our ancestral past because it was all like what I'm saying is this mining process. As the technology grew, the, the ways and methods of mining remained the same. And it's almost like a predatory behavior. That never, the behavior pattern never really changes itself. What the behavior pattern does is it just outlasts the generations. So after five generations are gone, the behavior pattern can be as predatory as it ever was, like medieval civil, uh, Europe. The behavior pattern can be as aggressive as it ever was because after five generations, who's going to remember what was there? The terminology changes, the technology changes. So it's like there's this thing that's just kind of been to me, right? That's a part of this civilization that just, it just kind of re-manifests itself, but the continual thing is it eats our spirit to me, used, converts, feeds off of us in some kind of a way. See, so this is why it's important to separate everybody from any ancestral understandings and teachings because, see, they don't want anybody to know this. So everybody thinks they got hope. And the thing continues to spread because you women, Look at what the women's suffrage was in, in the 1800s. 
So now you have the right to vote and you made certain little gains, but see, it's still the same war. And the concessions are given very slowly. And it's, it's this way with labor, it's this way with all of the things. But anyway, it's behavior pattern basically remains the same. And it's means of conducting its behavior pattern. That's what really changes. And, and the generation of people that it gets conducted on, this changes. But in order for all this stuff to happen, they have to neutralize our intelligence. And they have to create a confusion in our own perceptional reality. So somewhere in each and every one of us, there's a collective genetic memory that goes way back to the beginning of the original dream, the beginning of our stories. And our relationship to power in reality is connected to us understanding that that is there. But we're in a technologic perception of reality that does not want us to understand that. The voices said, Antichrist is anti-life, greed, death's agents taking command, society conditioned in death, death to the air, death to the water, death to the future, death in the mind. The voices said, people strung out in confusion, dancing at ends of industrial wires. Okay, that was John Trudeau we're going to listen to for the last bit of time here. I want to thank Chase Ironize from the Lakota People's Law Project for starting out the show tonight. If you want to support him and know, or know how you can support Lakota people, you can find them at lakotalaw.org. They have a website there and they can direct you and how you might be able to support their efforts. And this has been Surviving Late Stage Capitalism, a Universal Perspective. I'm your host, Chris Skyhawk. It's been a pleasure to be here with you tonight. Thank you for giving us, spending some time here with us. I also want to thank Rich Culbertson for engineering. He's waving. <laughs> That's very helpful for me, Rich, when you do that. And uh, we'll, we will continue to explore the surviving late stage capitalism. I don't know how many more shows I will do. Probably a few more. And I want to thank John Trudell also for all the gifts he gave us. He's a, obviously a very clear thinker, and he uses his words to kind of rattle, rattle us all. And I appreciate he he did that with his life. Okay, we're going to go out with a closing song. That's been the theme for our sh series so far. Walking in power. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.